Amen. You guys can be seated this morning. Thank you guys uh, for being here and gathering with us this morning. Let's go ahead and just uh, dive right into this uh, situation and this body of, of Scripture that we're going to be talking about uh, here today. Um, if you have been with us here at Mission, we have been working through um, really the life span of the Church of Ephesus. And so we started a couple of years ago looking specifically in some passages found in Acts where a man named Paul plants a church in the city of Ephesus. And uh, Paul, in leaving that city, he spends about three years there planting the gospel, seeing people's lives radically change. And, and, and if I could just kind of throw a, a stereotype onto the, the church at Ephesus, that its city was kind of like Las Vegas. And, and yet now there is the gospel that is planted there, and, and these pagan people that are in, involved in all sorts of things are, are now coming to saving grace inside of the person and work of Jesus. And so Paul, this pastor, this preacher, who falls in love with these people, is, is now raised up leaders, and, and he's going to go plant a church in another place. And before he leaves them, though, he says, you know, I'm just, I'm concerned, I'm worried that um, from among you there will be elders, there will be leaders, there will be teachers, there will be ravenous wolves that would seek to lead you astray. And then several years later, Paul writes back to this church whom he loves because some of that has beginning to take place. They've lost their identity, and their identity can only be found in the person and work of Jesus. And so Paul writes inside of your New Testament. You can flip there just in case you're curious, make sure I'm not lying to you. There's a letter there called the Church of Ephesians, and that is this same man writing to this same group of people trying to course correct them. Well, some years go past, and, and, and Paul sends his protege, he sends his apprentice, he sends a young pastor, his son in the faith, a young man probably in his 30s by now, and he, he sends this young man named Timothy to this church at Ephesus, and lo and behold, though, the, the rootedness of the gospel and, and what Paul was trying to do in the very beginning of planting that church, but then also in the letter to the Ephesians, it had not taken root that there were still people that are found within this congregation that are causing major problems. And so Paul writes First Timothy to encourage this young pastor to stay the course. After some time goes by, though, some changes still aren't taking place. If anything, some things have gotten worse. And so Paul writes again to this young pastor encouraging him to fight the good fight of the faith, to remain faithful in the pastorate. And so in this, we see this, this mentoring, this loving between pastor to pastor. We get to see behind the curtain of the elders in these letters the difficulty of being a pastor, the conflict that is often held with not just outside of the people of God, but the conflict that is found within the people of God. And so Paul is, is writing, and as we saw a few weeks ago, that within the church that there are um, good vessels, that there are honorable pastors and leaders and elders, and there are dishonorable 
people, that there are both good teachers, biblical teachers, sound teachers that, that are qualified according to the biblical qualifications, that they're not just good preachers with charisma that can woo and gather people, but yet their lives are matching what they are preaching. And so Paul is encouraging this beaten down, probably maybe uh, just scared. He's wondering, man, is this all worth it? He's battling with, man, why don't I just go be a fisherman? Why don't I just go do something that I enjoy to do? But yet Paul is writing him and he, he's telling them, and as again, as we saw last week, he's saying that when it comes up to people that are within your church that are false teachers, and, and let us be reminded, false teachers don't always have a pulpit. Sometimes they're sitting on pews. Is that when, when Paul is, is telling this young man, he's like, okay, you, you, you've got to confront the sin that is in the camp. But you confront the sin without sinning yourself. Because that's our temptation. Because when you get into arguments with people, and, and maybe you're not even trying to be in arguments with people, but as we discussed last week, that you will often be wooed and tempted to engage in battles that have nothing to do with you. Right? Case in point was Facebook and just gossip, all these sorts of things. And so Paul encourages him. He says, here's the deal. Confront them. Fight the good fight, though. Don't fight like a non-Christian. Don't fight like a false teacher. But in patience and humility and kindness, Plead with those brothers, plead with those sisters in hopes that God would then grant them repentance. We see that in verse is 25 and 26, right above where the passage was read today. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Man, what a concerning passage that there can be people sitting in church pews that are instruments of the devil right that that instruments of the devil can preach sermons that instruments of the devil can sing songs that instruments of the devil can write Christian books or sing Christian songs or, or be in a small group or a missional community or, or be deacons within a church. They could be the people serving you communion. And, and the, the thing is, the passage isn't to make us paranoid, but it is to awaken us to that reality that everyone who claims to be a Christian isn't. That they're not. And so we see within this passage of chapter 3, verse 1, that Paul is continuing that line of confrontation against false teachers. So he goes from kindness, patience with them, um, correcting their opponents, that God would grant them, speaking truth to them, that they will come to their senses. And then he uses this conjunction there of, of, but understand this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. In the last days, there will be great tension. See, during the last days, there will be much difficulty. Now, for point of theological clarification, that when Paul is saying that, that the, in the last days, 
he is not simply speaking about a foreign or a, a future experience. He's not talking about just way out in the future from this time in probably the 60 A.D. time period. He's not just thinking about in 2019, but, but when, put, when Peter stands up to preach in Acts chapter 2 and he begins to preach the gospel, he's filled with, as my upbringing would tell me, Holy Ghost boldness. And he begins to proclaim the gospel that he tells them that in the last days the Holy Spirit will fall upon and fill God's people. And what do we know that just happened? They have been filled with the Spirit. So just again for a point of theological clarity, the last days isn't something that is just coming, but it is something that is now. Paul believed that he was in the last days. So he's writing to Timothy, not to say, man, you don't have to really worry about this, but in 2019, there are going to be difficult times. No, no, Paul is bringing clarity and theological clarity and gospel clarity to this young preacher who's wondering, why are we all in these difficult times? I mean, church people are coming after me. Church people are trying to destroy me, my reputation. They're leading people astray. And Paul is, is telling them and reminding this young man that, man, these are the last days. So Paul was living in the last days. The mission church, we too are living in last days. Paul is, again, when he's addressing Timothy, how many times have you read this passage of Scripture, if you've ever heard this passage of Scripture before? And if you've got friends who love to make charts about end times things, this is one of the passages that they love to quote. And they'd be like, it's a checklist for them, right? See? Disobedient parents. I mean, I went to the Walmarts the other day, and boom, there was a disobedient kid. We must be, Jesus is coming back soon. Right? We love to do that. Paul isn't looking outside the church. Paul isn't looking at the news going on in Ephesus and determining this. Paul's looking at the pews and determining we're in the last days based on how church members are acting. See, our tendency is to always gaze out into the horizon. Our tendency is to always to look outward. And Paul is saying inside the, the church at Ephesus that the problem lies within the very church. See, there are always collateral damage, brothers and sisters, to our sin. Our sin rarely, if ever, only affects us. But, but our sin, sometimes, depending on the knowledge of them and what actually takes place, um, has a far-reaching effects. It has a rippling effect. See, there's a, a broken relationship with Jesus, and that broken relationship with Jesus then calls relationship with others to also be broken. As one person put it, Simple people living corrupt, deceptive lives create difficult times for themselves and others, right? And every one of us are saying amen. 
But none of us are saying we're the person that's causing it. It's really easy for us to think of names that maybe come to our mind. And that's very dangerous. Today, Paul is, is giving, again, Timothy some clarity into to these difficult times within the church. Not simply see what you see on MTV, even if that's a thing anymore. Right? Not simply the commercials that you're watching, but no, Paul is, is speaking into the life of the church and he's saying, man, this is the fruit of a godless people within the church. But understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty, verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Jesus tells us in the Gospels that, that you will know people by their fruit. Orange and apple are both fruits, right? But early on, whether it was through Sesame Street or kindergarten or however you figured it out, you could quickly begin to understand that there is, though they are both similar, they are different. They are not the same. Apple trees don't produce. I used to have the, this teacher who was back home in algebra and she used to say this like every day you can't compare apples to oranges apples to oranges apples to oranges and then you ask the questions about apples and oranges and she would say that's the dumbest question i've ever heard needless to say i hated algebra right i don't care what x is to this day so we we see this this realization that that jesus tells us that you will know them by their fruits not simply what they profess to be. Not simply what is coming out of their mouth, but that you will truly generate, both Christian and non-Christian, that you are producing fruit in your life. One is driven by self, and the other is driven by spirit. And so we see in this, it's not an exhaustive list here, but that, that Paul is presenting to this young pastor the fruit of godless people all right now i've got 17 here and if you know anything about me and my preaching you're like oh my all right i do not have time to to dive into every one of these we could do with probably a 17 week series on each line item all right so bear with me if you have questions come talk to me Pastor Justin, Pastor Todd, we'll talk about it at MC uh, this week, so on and so forth. But, but Paul lays it out here. He says that in, in these last times, both for Timothy and for us, Mission Church, for there will be people who will be lovers of self. Lovers of self. This is often what we call narcissism. Right? I mean, I, I, I want it my way when and how I want it. I am right, and everyone else is wrong. It's at the center of probably almost every sin. It has been the struggle since our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they were placed into the garden. The deception of the enemy was, you can be like God. And so what did they choose to do? Eat. Why? 
they wanted to be God. And that sin has been passed on to generation after generation after generation insomuch that we, you and I, are still struggling with the, the culmination, the cultivation, the growing of the kingdom of self instead of the kingdom of God. Paul is telling Timothy, one of the reasons why, brother, you're having this problem is because of the love of self, that your church members are full of, of narcissism, that they love themselves more than they love others. And yet Jesus takes all of the law, not just the Big Ten, 613 laws found in the Old Testament. He takes all those and he compresses them like a piece of coal into a diamond and lays before the people of God. And he says, you take all of the law, you scale it down, and it's ultimately saying what? Love God and love people. And yet within the church, we're not seeing that genuine love for God or a genuine love for people, we're, we're seeing a, a genuine love for self. It also tells us that within the church, that they, the fruit of godless people, they'll be lovers of money, or what we could also say here is materialism. That they love these things. That they're controlled by consumption. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 4, we've covered this several years ago, you cannot serve God and money. But let me be clear here. There, there are people who love money, and they love money because of what money can buy them. Right? So they're consumers. They're heavily in debt. They're, they're, they'll lie, steal, cheat, do whatever it takes to consume things. They, they love this money because of what money can buy. And it, it can be easy for us to be quick to judgmental toward those people. But there's another kind of lover of money. And those lovers of money, it's, it's not about the consuming of things, but it's about the false security that they believe that money will give them. Both is the love of money. All right? Both is the love of money. How many grandparents or older people have you heard about who grew up in the Depression and when they passed away, they went into their, their, to the dresser drawer to find hundreds of thousands of dollars? And yet they often wore ratty clothes, ate the same things all the time, but had a bucket load of money stashed away in their underroos. Right? It wasn't the love of money for consumption. It was the love of money found in security. We've got to keep this, right? You've got to bury your gold in the backyard. Paul is saying, man, this love of materialism, this love of false security. We also see here in this great list that they were, they were proud, they were arrogant. These, these false teachers, whether from the pulpit or from the pew, they, they like to boast, they like to brag. In, in the south, I've got some friends in, from the southwest here, it's different, live there, know this, so let me, I'm teaching them something here today. Um, we call this in the south what it means to be a one-upper, right? Man, I caught a fish this big. Well, I caught a fish this big, Right? That, that, that there's this bragging mentality, this, this proud arrogance. And, and they will often say things like, or they will believe it, even if it doesn't come out their mouth, that I'm not the problem, everyone else is the problem. 
Proud lo- people love to, bring, to blame shift, don't we? Others are the problem. I'm not the problem. If they could only see the error of their ways. We also see that with inside of the fruit of godless people that they are often abusive. And, and please, for point of, of clarity this morning again, is that it, it's not that, that if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I'm only one of those, you may just be one of those and still be a false teacher. It doesn't mean that you're producing all this fruit. You could be. But that we see within ungodly people that they're, they're abusive. And this word here that we get the, the term abusive found in this passage, um, it, it's rooted in the word blasphemy. And it, it literally means not blasphemy against God, but in this particular usage means blasphemy, it means being verbally abusive. It means speaking abusively of others. It means to defame, defame them. It means to, uh, to, to demean them. To constantly be pressing upon them. Have you ever been around someone who is just seemingly walking around with a microscope uh, or magnifying, not a microscope, but a magnifying glass hovered over your life just waiting to pounce on your every wrongdoing? That they're not cautious and gentle with their their language or their tone of voice but they're they're abusive that they're they're speaking abusively toward other people in the last year i've been reading some some books on this very topic and one of the things that is um definitely determined by people way smarter than i am in this area is that oftentimes those who have been verbally abused or emotionally abused it is much worse on them in the long run than physical contact There is something worse than a punch to the mouth. And it's a punch to the heart. Godless people are abusive. Godless people are disobedient to their parents. And some of you guys live with the evil spawns of Satan called your children. And you're like, "Uh uh-huh, amen. But I want to take us a step further because I think the implication can be here is disobedience to parents. What does that show us? It shows a problem with authority or submission to those whom God has placed over us. And we can attach that to other scriptures that we see inside the scripture that definitely tells us to be obedient to our parents. But we see also places where we to owe obey our leaders, that we're to obey our bosses, as long as these people aren't asking us to do something that downgrades God's glory and goes against his will, that we are to submit to these people. And we're seeing this take place inside the church. That godless, the fruit of godless people, that they're ungrateful. Ungrateful. That means they they lack contentment. We see um, within them, according to this list, that they're unholy, that they're, they're heartless, and that they're, they're, they're unappeasable. And I don't use the word unappeasable quite often, so I did some word study on this. And, and the word unappeasable means unwilling to negotiate or find a solution to issues. 
What does this mean? That they are a person that is willing to, they have a lack of being able to compromise. As one quote, as one person said in a commentary, this person is unwilling to reconcile after conflict. He just likes to win. Even when such a person is wrong, he or she is more interested in saving face than to save the relationship. As another person went on to say, they are unappeasable because they were implacable, meaning they cannot be soothed, cannot calm down when offended. Think Incredible Hulk. They can't be soothed. But it just seems to be snowballing within them. If you saw the the first Avengers, there's this scene um, that's in New York City, and and all the Avengers are standing around in New York City, and and they look at, at Banner, and that's the real name of the Incredible Hulk, Eric Banner, and they look at him, and he's normal, right? He's not wearing the purple underwear, which I guess he just has an, like an infinite amount of purple pants underneath his jeans. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. So they're standing there, and they're like, hey, 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 Banner, we need to see the green guy. You need to get angry, right? And he looks back at him, and he said, that's my secret. I'm always angry. Then he turns into the Hulk and of course smashes. Right? That there's just always this coals that are burning within them. It's always smoldering. They cannot be soothed. Parent, you ever had a baby that would not stop crying. No matter how you tried to soothe it. Bottles, baths, nap time, the swing where you bounce. And the, it's like, I mean, you're, you're trying to find whatever, what, what will it take to soothe this baby? To some degree, you know that's okay for a baby but it looks really bad on an adult that has to be in conflict to live. Godless fruit. Slanderous. Again, this is attached to abuse, but they're slanderous. That means that they have abusive speech against others rooted in the same word that we get the word devil. It's the word for slanderous here. Wine, it's such a great word picture here. Because we know the devil as being the deceiver. That he's a really good talker. That we need to understand, brothers and sisters, that slanderous speech toward others is, 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 is like gossip. It is the whispers of Satan. Someone who is always trying to get you to promise not to tell something only to find out that they are telling everyone. It's enslaving of people with words. It's enslaving of people with promises and covenants that 
that godless people are unwilling to stay loyal to. But they want to make sure that they've got you pigeonholed. We see here in Paul's list, without self-control, that means they're, they're enslaved to something. Maybe it's food, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's entertainment, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's drunkenness, maybe it's vanity. I mean, the list can go on and on and on and on. He continues on, he uses the word brutal here, which means inside the original language, it means like an untamed beast. Paul continues, he says that they're, they're not loving good. He uses the word treacherous, that, that carries the connotation that they're a traitor, that they are a betrayer. He uses the term reckless, and reckless here means, uh, refers to those who stop at nothing to gain their ends. They will stop at nothing and destroy anyone and everyone in the path of creating and maintaining their own kingdom. If someone says of you that you are a bull in a china shop, that is not enduring. Okay? Hi, Bubby. It is not enduring. There are such people within the church that, that are reckless. They will, they will stop at nothing. This is the identity that must come forth from me. This is the way that people must think of me. This is what I must gain, whether it's power, whether it's control, whether it's prestige, no matter what it is. That much like the Truman Show, if you've ever seen that movie where you've got Jim Carrey and, and it's a big television show and they're, they're all actors except for Jim Carrey thinks that this is real life, but it's not. But everyone around them walks on pins and needles and on eggshells just to, to make sure that they can manufacture this false reality for this person. And this person is reckless. We're told verse, or my number here, I've got verse, or, or number 16, it would be swollen with conceit. They have a big head. They want you to know how awesome they are. You know, we love to sing that song, How Great Thou Art. But they prefer the song, How Great I Am. And they want you to know it. Last one here that's listed is that they, they have the appearance of holiness. They have the appearance of godliness and, and yet but deny its power you know what's what's scary about combating false teachers within the church is that they have a following false teachers whether it's from the pulpit or from the pews is that if you were to ask them the baptism questions you know what the baptism questions are right do you do you believe that that God created everything yes do you do you believe that man is sinful and that you are sinful and that you're in need of a savior yes 
Do you believe that Jesus came and, and died on the cross to take your sins and on the third day was resurrected in order to reconcile you back to God? To do what you could not do for yourself? Yes. Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned and you, you follow after him daily? Yes. You ask him, are you a Christian? Yes. I'm a Christian. And I've been a Christian since, I don't know, I was four years old or something. Preacher was preaching. I walked the aisle. Yes, yes. I, he asked me a bunch of questions. I said yes to them. I prayed some prayer. And it's not, I'm not belittling that, that God can use even that. But we have to understand that everyone who prays an incantation, if we make it that, just some, some prayer up at an altar or, or talking to some preacher or, or at the dinner table, wherever it may be, just because some words are repeated out of your mouth does not mean that saving grace has come from you. Again, that there are people within the church, and I know that this can be really heavy this morning, that there, there are people that have the appearance of holiness. I'm a Christian, and yet God knows their motives. He, he knows the condition of each and every one of our hearts. That, because, brothers and sisters, that though it is coming out of your mouth, the fruit of your life says otherwise. The fruit of my life can say otherwise. Brothers and sisters, our, our actions always follow our true beliefs, not our stated ones. Do you get that? Not our stated ones. As we use this, and I know this is Christianese, but I'm trying to give us some handles that we can understand here, but you can have, you know, profession and not possession. And God knows what's really taking place here. J.C. Ryle, Archbishop in the 1800s, got some great, great statements out there talking about this very passage. Let me read this quote to you. He says, look in another direction at those hundreds of people whose whole religion seems to consist in talk and high profession. They know the theory of the gospel intellectually and, and possess to delight in evangelical doctrine. They, they can say much about the soundness of their own views and, and the darkness of all those who disagree with them, but they never get any further. When you examine the, the, their inner lives, you, you find that they know nothing of practical godliness they are neither truth nor truthful nor charitable nor humble nor honest nor contempered nor gentle nor nor unselfish nor honorable what shall we say of these people and, and understand this statement they are christians no doubt in name and yet there is neither substance nor fruit in their christianity there is one, but one thing to be said. They are formal Christians. Their religion is an empty form. 
Godless people within the church, again, they preach sermons. They write Christian books. Maybe they're even called pastor or missional community leader, song leader or deacon or trustee or board member. And, and what's enticing about this is how easy it is to be misled by these people. And we see that. Because what is the danger of godless people within the church? What does he tell us? For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passage, passions. Godless people prey on weak people within the church. They de deceivingly groom them to falseness, to falsehoods, to false beliefs, to false practices. Paul uses the term here, weak women, because we've seen earlier in, in 1 Timothy, I don't have time this morning to go into this, where these women were often being led astray. And, but specifically, the women that he is speaking of are, are probably women who are wrestling with sins themselves. And they're filled with shame. They're filled with guilt over their sin. And oftentimes, if you've paid any attention to pastors who fall into uh, sexual immorality with people within their church, a lot of the story will happen like this. A woman is engaged and, and there's some sort of adulterous situation. Maybe her husband cheats on her and she goes and talks alone with a pastor. They are in a vulnerable situation emotions begin to be stirred she is in a weakened state and if that man is ungodly or makes a horrific choice there's often things that begin to happen in those relationships when you when you find people that are that are, are, are fresh out of some sinful situation, or if, if you find the dirt on someone, you find the dirt on, on someone sitting next to you, you know, that is, that is a very powerful weapon wielded in the hands of an ungodly person. Because what will they do with you? They will manipulate, they will beat you up, they will abuse you, they will control you. Hey, but if you tell this about me, I'm going to tell them about you. So there's, there's blackmail that begins to take place. And this is what's happening in the church at Ephesus as, they, as, they, as these men, as these people, and possibly even women as well, I, I, I don't know. But they begin to, to use their, their Christianese and their knowledge. And again, knowledge is such a powerful person. The godless people will exploit others' sins to manipulate and groom them for their own purposes. Some call these people spiritual predators preying on weak people. I've seen people who have been otherwise discerning toward a lot of spiritual matters get completely deceived by spiritual predators within churches. They become greatly blinded. 
because godless people are in gods of their own kingdom. It's a matter of control. It's a matter of manipulation in order to use people like chess pieces in their own world. They, they use enough Christianity to sound convincing. They, they weasel themselves into places and positions within people's lives and within the church family that they have no position of being in at all. They're good with their words. Maybe they're charismatic. Maybe they have the gift and the power of woo. And they lead people astray. They lead people from soundness. They convince and gather troops to believe in their false teachings by manufacturing what appears to be godliness. And, and Paul gives us an example here of, of Janus and, and Jambres. And, and those two people's names are not actually mentioned in the Bible, but you're going to know who they are. We get those names from extra-biblical sources. But if you remember in the Old Testament, you've got Moses and Aaron. And Moses is kind of like, I don't talk too good, so Aaron, help me out here, bro. And so God tells them to go to Pharaoh and to let the people go. Everybody follow me? Got that far at least? And, and there's this cosmic battle that takes place. And, and, and they, Aaron... Uh, I think it was Aaron. It was definitely Aaron's staff. They go before Pharaoh, and they're trying to show the glory and the might of God, the power of God. And so they take Aaron's staff, and they throw it down on the ground. And what happens? It turns into a snake. And this has always weirded me out since I was a little kid. Because these magicians for Pharaoh... Their names, we, again, we get from extra-biblical sources, or Janus and Jambres. They show up on the, on the scene, and guess what they've got? Sticks, staffs. And guess what they do? They throw them down, and they turn into snakes. And the Bible doesn't tell us how it happens. You know, I'm thinking, like, you got a stick, and if you, like, push a button, and it turns, you know, snakes really inside of it, you know. I'm thinking, again, you start reading these sorts of things, and, and again, the Bible never tells us. We don't know if it was black magic or if it was just a magic trick, but all we know is, is all of a sudden, there's several snakes at our feet that were sticks, and one of them came from God, and the others came from a lack of truth. Because see, again, it's a truth war. Oh, your God is something? Yeah, let me show you how awesome my God is. Boom, stick the snake. Oh, that ain't nothing. Stick to snake. Equal. The dangerous thing about godless people within their church is how crafty it can be. Now, what I love about that story is if you keep on reading in the book of Exodus is God's snake then eats the other snakes. But you know what it says? But Pharaoh... Her hardened his heart even more. And that's what's scary about this within the life of the church. Is that the power of darkness are imitators of the gospel light. And it can be hard to differentiate between the two. And Paul is saying what they, these, these men, they're, they're combating the truth. They're combating the truth of the gospel inside of that story. And he illustrates that here. 
So the men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all. As with those two men. False teachers, ungodly people within the life of the church. They're mentally unstable. They resist the truth and create false realities. You ever been around someone who can create such a false reality that they can honestly tell you, I am not lying. And they believe that. They really do. They're not double lying. They've created such a false reality that to them it really is true. Oh, the darks of deception. Fiction becomes truth. And truth, fiction. That is why this battle is so tough. Especially in here. It's really tough. Now Paul, he encourages Timothy. I don't know if this is encouragement. I think it's supposed to be. But Paul tells Timothy there, he says, the true nature of these false teachers, guess what's going to happen? It's going to come out. Praise be to God. Like I don't have to fight all this battle. I don't have to wage war in the way. You don't have to wage war as we read about and learned last week. We don't have to wage war the, the way that the ungodly want us to. We don't have to constantly be like a good lawyer defending ourselves. The battle belongs to the Lord. Vengeance is the Lord's. Jesus, as he is standing before Pontius Pilate, could have called down legions of angels. He could have spoke into that very moment, and yet he often is remaining silent. He knows the truth. And either in this life or in the life to come, brothers and sisters, it, it will come. That's not the trumpet, I promise. Uh, yeah. We missed it. <laughs> Some of you I'm not surprised, but I'm kind of surprised about myself. Uh, <laughs> hey, if anybody's going, cash is going. We're good, all right? <laughs> so we're good. He's still here, all right? Cash and Alan Bullard. There we go. Paul, Paul's saying, it's going to be known. It's going to become very plain. And you know who it doesn't become plain to? The people, these ungodly people have groomed to believe according to their false lies as well. Because Jesus tells us that the sheep know my voice. And when I call, what do they do? They come. Quickly, I've got just a few minutes here. So what do we do? What's the application? And this is going to sound crazy to some of you. And I'm so glad it's in the Bible. And I'm not coming up with it. Avoid these people. Do you hear that? 
ignore them. Avoid them. Now, now you're like, hold up. Now, Pastor Eric, I heard the greatest sermon I ever heard from you last week. And last week, Paul was telling Timothy to be kind, gentle, patience. Keep, keep calling these people. Keep calling them to repentance. Keep calling them to repentance. Pray that the God would grant them repentance. But notice here, I'm not a big English guy. Chapter 3, verse 1, I told you at the beginning, what does it start with? But. What is Paul telling Timothy? Paul's telling this young pastor that, hey, brother, you are going to chase after people. You're going to chase after them. You're going to call them to repentance, call them to repentance, call them to repentance, call them to repentance, call them to repentance. But there will come a day that you need to understand that they will not repent. And it doesn't matter what you've done for them. It doesn't matter if you've been kind, gentle, that they will and have not come to the understanding of repentance. And because of that, they are causing problems within your own life, Pastor, but they are also destroying your church. So there comes a point when we, as pastors, and then you, as the congregation, treat them like the unbeliever that their fruit is revealing that they are. Do we write them off? No. Do we hope their house burns down? No. We don't wish evil things on them, but we hope that in them seeing our avoidance and, and lack of participation in their evil, that God would use even that to call them to repentance. That there does come a point in time where we must shake the dust off our feet. And we do so with tears in our eyes. There comes a point in time where we say, no, you are not welcome here. And that seems to ungodly people really unloving. But for the bride as a whole is the most loving thing that we can do. It's to avoid. And so Paul is, is saying to Timothy, he's saying, avoid these practices. Don't be like these men. Don't be like these false teachers. But also there comes again a point where you've got to avoid these people. And you know what? That really messes up a church when you start making and dividing those lines. Why again? Because there are some people who are completely convinced that the person that you're now avoiding, that they're Jesus incarnate. And yet the Bible is clear. As one, this commentator that I love, this little series that we use in preparation, it says this, of course believers should not avoid contact with all unbelievers. The individuals in view here are those who are within the church wrecking our lives. Do you get the difference there, brothers and sisters? We're not talking about you see the drunkard on the side of the street down here and you, you avoid them. Oh, they're, they're sinners, blah, blah, blah. No, you pursue that person. What they're saying is within the church, there are those who will not repent and they're wrecking our lives. We're the collateral damage because we will not succumb to the kingdom of themselves. We are seeking the kingdom and building the kingdom of God. And those two cities will not function within the same thing. So leaders, we must guard the flock against wolves, and believers must avoid the example of the ungodly. Next week, we're going to see how do we follow the example of the godly. 
but we need to understand the depths of the ungodly first. Closing with this, I know that we need to go. Application questions. This passage should humble us. I know every one of us are maybe thinking about different individuals, and that is not the point of the sermon. The passage should humble us. Because see, the only difference between these ungodly people and me is that God, or and hopefully you as well, is that God has granted us repentance. Because I'm sure to some degree we're all tempted to be that list. We're all tempted to be the ungodly. And so before we go, man, I can't wait to send this sermon audio to somebody, or I hope they indirectly, I'm going to post this on Facebook, and I hope that they will passively aggressive, just stumble upon it and read it, right? Which we have all done. That's why I'm not on it. Okay? Let me ask you some questions, and I'm going to pray. What kind of person are you? Godless or godly? And let me change that. What kind of person are we? Godless or godly? What kind of person are we, am I, are you, becoming? Whom are we following? And lastly is this. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to get this, and this is not to be fire and brimstone, but it is to be reality. Jesus is coming back. We are in the last days. And I pray that it is the last of the last days. Like I know some of you probably have a show you want to watch this afternoon. It is football season, by the way. But I pray Jesus comes back before Jesus is coming back. Do you know this Jesus? If you were to honestly evaluate your lives, do you look more like God? Do you look more like Jesus? Or do you look more, are you checking through that personal checklist that I just went through? You're like, yep, 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 yep. You know what that may say? It may say, humbly, please hear me, I love you. It may say, you are not a Christian. So repent. What does that mean? Turn from your evil. Turn from your sin and humility. And not walk on by yourself. But repentance means to turn and look at Jesus. Because everything God requires that you are going to be punished for if you continue in this way, guess what Jesus did? He paid it all. So turn to that Jesus. Jesus is coming back, brothers and sisters. May we be found faithful to his kingdom and call. Let's pray.